While they're doing that, if you will turn to Deuteronomy. We are beginning a study today in Deuteronomy. And um, I want to ask you on the front side, you, you have these notes here in, in the horizon, and, and some of you fill them in, some of you don't. That's no worry. I mean, they're here for your, your use. If they help, that's great. If you have a trouble paying attention for long periods of time, these are great for people like me. Keep me focused. Um, I, I will say a, a suggestion came up, and I think it's a great one. And, and um, I have ordered some, some binders, some small binders that, that the church is going to buy and we're going to give to you. And we're going to start three-hole punching the notes, and you can put them in that binder. At the end of Deuteronomy, you'll have a hopefully a very good study of Deuteronomy that you can keep at the house or uh, just keep them together. I've seen some of y'all leave your Bibles around here, and when I try to figure out whose they are, there's about a hundred of these just floating around and this and that. So we're going, we're going, I'm not, I can't say that I'm going to do it for every series, just depending on the length, if it, if it warrants the, the price. So they were supposed to be in Friday, but they, they called and they were delayed. Hopefully they're in on, on Monday or Tuesday. So Lord willing, next, next. So if you want to save this one, you can. I'll try to print off uh, new ones and go ahead and put them in there for you and get you started. So you'll at least have a binder of the introduction of Deuteronomy. What you do after that is totally up to you. So hopefully that will, will help you. Uh, any, if you're like me, anything to help you be organized is a good thing, a good thing. I need, I need help. So, um, well, Deuteronomy, and, and we're going we're gonna to study Deuteronomy. We're not going to study it verse by verse the way that we've studied other books. I don't think you want to spend a whole lot of time in, for instance, Deuteronomy 14, 20, talking about boiling a goat in its mother's milk and things like that. I, I'm, I'm going to just go out on a limb and assume that's not what anybody is struggling with in here today, whether to boil a goat in its mother's milk or not. If, if, you're, if you're boiling a goat in its mother's milk, just stop it. Let's just say stop it, just cut it out. We'll make this real simple. I, I'm, I've, thankfully, I've never, I, pardon me, I would love to get a call like that maybe versus some of the other calls that I get. Hey, Chris, can you help me get through this boiling? No, just stop it. Boil something else in the milk and be done with it. But uh, we're, some of you may be wondering with things like that, that, why are we studying Deuteronomy? That was the law. We're under grace. What, what profit could there possibly be for me in studying Deuteronomy? I mean, again, those were just a bunch of rules, just a bunch of regulations. I mean, hey, I'm free. That law has nothing to do with me anymore. And, and, and I will tell you, that's exactly why we're studying Deuteronomy. That's exactly why we're going to embark on a study of Deuteronomy. The, the issues that we see here in Deuteronomy are just as important today as they were then. We're battling with the same exact issues that the, today that the Israelites were battling in Deuteronomy. And the key issue that we're going to see, the key issue that's going to undergird this whole study uh, is this. How have you responded to God's grace? That's what I want you to ask yourself throughout this study. We're going to start today by asking that very simple question. How have you responded to God's grace? For, for Deuteronomy, for the Israel... Moses is recounting for them Genesis through Numbers. Genesis through Numbers, Moses is, is, is really condensing it and explaining to them time and time again, do you understand God's grace, people? Do you understand how good God has been? And Moses is dealing with them in their response in regards to how they have responded to that grace. And the call for Deuteronomy, the call for Deuteronomy is the same for us. It is, it is to respond to God's grace with unreserved loyalty and love. When we look at the great grace that God has poured out from us, it's the same thing today than what Paul said in Romans 12. He knew it the same. He, he quoted Deuteronomy a lot. His Romans is built on Old Testament theology, and he says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, that's grace, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. 
for this is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So that you will be able to prove what is the will of God, that which is good and perfect. Unreserved loyalty. Paul says, when I, look at, when I look at what God has done for me, the only natural response, the only suitable response, is to give myself totally to that God. So we have to ask ourselves the same question that Moses is posing to the Israelites. How have you responded? Let's make it personal. How have you responded to God's grace? In light of how good he has been, how have you responded? Have you taken it for granted, maybe? Have you trampled upon it? Paul dealt with that in Romans 6. Hey, if grace abounds, let me, I'll just do whatever I want to do, and I'll just show off the grace of God. And Paul says, by no means. You're misunderstanding grace. Have you, some of you in here, I don't, I don't, I, it's crowded in here today. I, I, I don't know all of your stories. Some of you maybe have denied God's grace and don't have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. It's possible. It's possible that you stiff-armed God's grace. Do we even recognize God's grace? I, it, the interesting thing, I, I, don't, I don't ever want to make this about me, but I'll just real quick. I, 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 had, I had started working on this Thursday and, and really just... The hardest part for me as a pastor is, is with my attention issues is trying to boil these things down and be focused. And, and that was the question that was resounding in my heart as I've studied Deuteronomy over the last really month, is how have you responded to grace? Well, Karen was up here working, and I went to get some lunch, for a sandwich for us to share. And on the way back at uh, Trinity Boulevard, um, I was in an automobile accident. Ironically, that was the second accident last week that I was in. So I wouldn't recommend riding with me anywhere. Uh, neither one were my fault, praise God, not saying I'm the greatest driver in the world, but in these two instances, they were not my fault. Um, uh, but interestingly enough, as I sat in the median, my car is totaled, and I'm sitting here thinking, what in the world, my, I, had, I have some burns and bruises and stuff from the, from the airbag. I still was faced with this same question. Chris, how are you responding right now, standing in the median of Trinity Boulevard? How are you responding to God's grace? Could have been a lot worse. My kids could have been in the car. My wife could have been in the car. None of us were injured. Cars could be replaced. Although I've come to discover that the, I valued my 2007 Pontiac Torrent with 103,000 miles a whole lot more than Mr. Kelly Blue Book values my... <laughs> 2007 Pontiac Torrent with 103,000 miles. So we're, we're having a, I'm having to fight through. Me and Mr. Kelly there are, are not seeing eye to eye here. We're not seeing eye to eye on what that thing, you know, meant to me. So uh, anyway, it meant a lot to me. A paid-for car that gets me where I'm going, and uh, that, that was valuable. So I'm, I'm, I'm working through that. But still, even, even the grace, I, I was sitting there thinking the other day, even the grace of saying, you know what, God okay, I, I'm going to have to go find another car, but, but I can. Even grace there. It's not going to, this is not going to destroy me. The accident is not going to ruin us. Grace. The issue then and the issue today is this. It is godly living in response to God's grace. It's always a response to God's grace. You look at Romans. Romans 1 through 11 is God's grace. Romans 12 through 16 is how do you respond to grace. Look at Ephesians 1 through 3 is God's grace. 4 through 6, response to God's grace. Deuteronomy, a lot of theology. Paul, I mean, uh, uh, who's the writer? Moses talks about God's grace, and then he says, here's how you respond in 12 through 34. Our response is always godly living, and our response is always motivated by God's grace. We're not trying to earn something. We're not trying to merit something. We're not trying to uh, manipulate God. We're not trying to coerce God. We are responding to what He has already done. It's a relationship. It's a relationship that's built on grace. And Moses is telling Israel, and, and the same is true for us, we need to return to the principles of godly living. 
It's interesting, when you go to Revelation, you'll see it's always the same. What, what did he fault the church there for? He says, you've left your first love. I know your deeds. I know all the things that you do. I get that. You know what? I have this against you. You left your first love. You're doing a lot of stuff. It's not motivated by love. It's not a response of love. And, and that is what Moses is dealing with here in Deuteronomy. In plain form, I'm going to give you three just overarching truths that this is going to boil down to. All the laws, all the do's, all these don'ts, all these things. Here, here's three things. The first thing Moses is going to show us in Deuteronomy, and I promise you as you read these, if you're honest, you'll say, I could, I could grow in that area. It's, this first thing is this, love God supremely. Love God supremely. Love God supremely. Second thing we're going to see is this. In response to grace, not only do you love God supremely, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Third thing you're going to see in response to God's grace is seek to glorify God in all that you do in all areas of your life. In all areas of your life. Seek to glorify God. That, that, that is the essence of Deuteronomy. Interestingly, in Matthew 22, you can go to verse 36 and following. They ask Jesus, hey, what, what's the law? Tell us about the law. He says, I'll sum up the law in this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets summed up in two things. Love God supremely. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these, all these things that we see here in Deuteronomy can be boiled down to those three things. Love God, love others. Whatever you do, do it out of gratitude to glorify God. God. So I, I want to spend today and give us kind of an overview. I want to set the table, if you will. Some of us, I'm just going to assume that there may be one or two of you in here that have never read Deuteronomy, that don't understand what's going on. So I want to help you kind of build a foundation, quick overview of Deuteronomy, and then we'll jump in uh, and start uh, breaking it down more next week. But the title, the title Deuteronomy, some. The title of Deuteronomy in, in, our, in our studies, in our, in our Bibles, it's probably going to say something like second law. That's typically uh, what you see with regards to Deuteronomy. And, and that can be somewhat uh, deceiving. It's not exactly uh, accurate. Uh, they get it from Deuteronomy 17, 18, where Moses... Um, where God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the law again, and, and, and there is a, a second law of sorts. But, but Deuteronomy is not a second law in the truest sense. Moses is simply repeating what we have in Genesis through Numbers, and he is reminding them that God has not changed. This is not a second law in the sense of, okay, we need to redo some things because, you know, things are different. You know, I realized I probably could have done things differently and the way y'all responded. No, no, Moses is going right back to, where, to the core issue. And he's saying, how do you relate to God? This is how you relate to God. It's interesting I thought about that. How many times in our own lives do we disobey and God, when, when, when we're done with the discipline and all that, God takes us right back to the point of disobedience and he says, now let's deal with that. It's not like, okay, we'll just move on. You look at Jonah. Go to Nineveh. I am going, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish. Okay. Fish mouth, three days, vomited up. Guess what? Now the word of Jonah 3, 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and it was the same command, go to Nineveh. You're not getting by with your disobedience. You're not passing go. You're not collecting your $200 until you go to Nineveh. And God is saying, I haven't changed. The, Moses, they, are, they, have, they have wondered, and they are standing on the cusp of the promised land. And Moses is addressing them as a loving father would his son if these were the last words that he could say to his son. This is what Moses is saying to those people. More than that, th these are Moses' words regarding their past, but it's also regarding their future. It's regarding their future. De Deuteronomy is not just a rehash of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. All of I'm sure those are high on our list of reading. When you start a reading plan of the Bible... Go to Numbers and try to make it through. You better ramp up. He, he's not just saying, well, let's just rehash things. He's reminding Israel 
of their history and the wonderful God that they served, and he's showing them the character of the God who, in spite of their lack of faithfulness, has never once ceased to be faithful. He never ceased to be faithful. And as we'll see, Moses takes it a step further in a way that those books never did, and he introduces this, the love of God. He's going to show them a whole new way that everything that they did, everything they went through, everything has always been because they have been bought by a God who loves them. He loves them. And he's showing them the characteristic of their relationship with that God who loves them. Moses is literally here in Deuteronomy. He is an aged father. And these are the parting words of a man who had been face to face with God. And these are the words of a man who has walked with God and that relationship with God has matured for 120 years. Moses has walked with God. Think about that. He he has communed and walked with God for 120 years and here he is telling his people, let me tell you about this great God we serve. But before y'all go on, Let me tell you about this great God. Let me tell you what He desires of you. And in Deuteronomy, Moses reviews Israel's past, and that was a reminder of God's faithfulness. Reminder of God's faithfulness. But God's past faithfulness, He does this in such a way, God's past faithfulness ought to motivate us to godly living and loyalty in the present, but also in the future. Moses is saying, look, he, look at your past. He's never, ever not been faithful. Even in the disciplining, he's faithful. Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines those whom he loves. Even in his discipline, he's faithful. And even in the discipline, even in the wondering, it was all because he loves you. He loves you. It was totally based on God's faithfulness. And Moses' words are meant to motivate them to obedience and a commitment to the Lord who had established a covenant with them. And the covenant theology, the idea of a covenant, is huge in Deuteronomy. God has bound Himself to Israel. He's chosen them. He's, he's, He's obligated Himself to be their God, to provide for them, to protect them, no matter what. And Moses is reminding them that everything, their relationship was built on a covenant. Our relationship with God is built on a covenant. You go to Jeremiah 31, you go to the Lord's Supper, this new covenant I give you. God is committed to us, just like He was committed to Israel. He's committed to us. You go to Romans 8, he says, He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him give you freely give you all things? He's in, he's all in. That's what Moses is helping Deuteronomy, the Israel and Deuteronomy to understand. And, and that's, what, that's what you get. with The real name Deuteronomy in the Hebrew Bible literally means the words of Moses. And you get that from the very first phrase of Deuteronomy 1.1. These are the words which Moses spoke to Israel. In the Hebrew Bible, that's what the title Deuteronomy, and that's what I want you to remember. When you think of Deuteronomy, these are the words of Moses which he spoke to Israel on behalf of God. It's an aged father who is telling his children, this is how you live. Remember your past, but live for the future. The setting. What, what, what exactly is the setting? And, and the exact setting of Deuteronomy occurs after 40 years of wandering in the desert. God has told him, you've wandered long enough. Go prepare to enter the land. Go prepare to enter the land. And, and I was kidding. I was kidding Addison afterwards. He had no idea what I was preaching on, but it's just a God thing. I, you literally, hey, you just preached my sermon Addison, let's take an offering and head to the house. Next time I'm out of town, Addison, get, get his sermon prepped up. You, oh, you're welcome. Yeah, exactly. It'll be on humility. It'll be on humility. It'll be on humility. But I, I want you to understand, uh, and I, I will tell you, I, as a pastor, I, I'm not saying this for those two guys, I, I, love the, I love the boys and girls in our student ministry. They have hearts for the Lord, and and that comes from their leaders, Chris and Sarah Thayer, the Renners, um, Debbie Rary, all their leaders. 
I'm blessed to be their pastor. But the backstory, I, I want us to understand the backstory before we can understand the present story. How did they get here? And Israel had, was under Egyptian captivity, and they had been freed from that captivity. The, the Exodus, that's where the, the book of Exodus talks about that. They've been freed. God has liberated them from being slaves to Egypt. He, he set them free from Pharaoh, and, and they were to, in response, they were to submit themselves to God. And this, in effect, was the birth of the nation Israel. You can go to Exodus 15, 18. That Exodus, they were a nation, but literally that birthed them truly as a nation. God would be their God. He would give them a land. He would rule over them. Israel and God had entered into a covenant and, and Moses was the mediator on behalf of God of that covenant. And that really was a renewal of the other covenants that they had entered into. You can go all the way back to Genesis 12. You can go all the way back to Genesis 15. It started with the Abrahamic covenant. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll make your descendants more numerous than the sands of the sea, the stars in the sky. You go, it all, it's all back to the Abrahamic covenant. That was the start. And, and he had made these covenants. And effectively, God was their king, and he, was, he had claim over his people. And that's what Moses is reminding them is, God is your king. And as such, he has claim over your life. But he also has responsibility to provide for you. They owed everything to God. That's what Moses is trying to help them understand. They owed everything to God, and they, would, they should naturally submit to him. They, as, as, uh, as Addison said, they had been offered the promised land before. They were on the cusp. God had already told them, this is the land I'm giving to you. It's flowing milk and honey. It's a good land. All you got to do is go take it. Well, they sent out spies. In doubt, I believe they sent out spies, 12 spies. Ten of them come back with a bad report. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, come back with a good report. Ten come back and say, hey, it's a sweet land. Let me tell you, it's a sweet land, but there's some big dudes over there. I don't think we can take it. Caleb and Joshua are saying, what do you mean you don't think we could take it? God told us it's ours. It's ours. And unfortunately, they believed the ten. They refused to believe the word of God. You see the same exact thing in 2 Samuel. As I was reading this, I thought, this is exactly what David dealt with. In 2 Samuel 7, God had already told Israel, hey, don't worry about the Philistines. I got the Philistines. I got them. Goliath was from where? He was a Philistine. David comes on the scene. He's saying, why are you guys worried about this? God already said he's got it. And you see this phrase that you also see in Deuteronomy. We'll see it today. Hey, you go fight. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. In your life and in my life, guess what? The battle belongs to the Lord. And He's already claimed a victory. Will we believe God's word or won't we? That was the issue for Israel. They did not believe God's word. And so the punishment, their failure to trust, their failure to act on, believe on God's word... Their, fail, their refusal to live by faith and simply trust, God's judgment for that was every person over the age of 20 is going to die. They're not going to enter the promised land. Moses himself would be forbidden from entering the promised land. And the events of Deuteronomy take place at the end of that 40 years of wandering. And God has brought them again back to the place. He has set before them the promised land. And He has essentially said, go take it. But before they go in, Moses reminds them of what is expected to them when they enter into this land. He's reminding them, don't forget. You're taking this land not because of your own goodness or your own ingenuity you're taking this land because of god god has given this to you and this is how he expects you to live as his people out of gratitude reflecting his character it was all out of gratitude and moses is reminding them your obedience to god is out of gratitude for all that god has done their obedience was a response to grace and so deuteronomy is a renewal it is the account 
of them renewing their commitment to God and understanding that God was still committed to them in spite of their great sin, in spite of everything. God was, was his, they were his people. He would care for them. He would provide for them. He would perfect, protect them. He was still committed. See, they had balked. God never wavered in his commitment and his covenant. He never wavered in his commitment to them. And, and what is, that's the backstory. So what has happened currently, you see it on your handout, is Moses is preparing them to enter the promised land. He's preparing them to take on the blessing. He knows he's about to die. He, he knows he will not enter the promised land. And, and it, this is a beautiful, we'll get there, Lord willing, at some point. We'll get to verse, uh, chapter 34. But in chapter 34, right before Moses dies, you see a beautiful picture of God's grace that though Moses is not entering because of his own sin, God takes him up on a hill and he shows him the land. He gives him a very, very clear picture. He says, though you're not going to enter it, though you're not going to lead my people into it, I'm going to give you a picture of it. I'm going to show you a picture of it. God, even that was God's grace. Even that was a picture of God's grace. And and so Moses' death, you've got to understand, Moses dying would have been a tremendously big deal to Israel. Moses and the covenant that God had made with his people, they were inseparable. He he was the only leader, so to speak, that many of them would have ever known. Moses had forged this covenant at Mount Sinai when God had given him the Ten Commandments. And Moses, what he's doing here is a beautiful picture that, that you realize as you read this story, what, what Moses is doing here in Deuteronomy is he's indicating to them that I'm dying and I'm going to hand this off to Joshua, but guess what? In reality, there's really no change in leadership here. Because what Moses is showing them is that it, showing Israel that their true leader had always been God, never had not been God, and he would still be their leader. He would just speak through Joshua instead of Moses. God had always been the one that was truly their leader. And it's like that in yours and my life. I, I'm not your leader. I'm your shepherd. You, you may be following me, but guess what? Ultimately, you're following Christ. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, imitate me as I, as I imitate Christ. Moses is saying, look, I, I, I'm leaving, but guess what? You're in the same hands that you've always been in, God's. You've got the same leader, the same commanding officer, the same chief that you've always had, God. So Moses is also, he's, he's helping them understand that God was the true leader, but he's also, he's saying ultimately who you follow is God, but ultimately he's setting Joshua up and he's making sure they understand that you follow Joshua. On behalf of following the Lord, you follow Joshua. That's exactly what God has done today. With pastors and shepherds. Look at me at Hebrews 13, 17. I want you to under, I, I'm not looking for sympathy, but I want you to try to catch a glimpse of the responsibility your overseers and pastors have for you. Hebrews 13, 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. What was the one thing, what was the one characteristic when you think of Israel and what they did to Moses and how they responded to his leadership would be what? Grief, grumbling, complaining, never satisfied. Moses is saying, you're not complaining to me. Ultimately, you know who you're complaining about? You're complaining about your Lord. Because He's always been the leader. He always will be the leader. And so, So ultimately, He's saying, look, you follow God. It may be through Joshua, but ultimately you follow God. And the other issue... The other issue that that Deuteronomy deals with is regarding the conquest of the promised land. Okay, how's this going to happen? Moses takes them back, just as I said, and he shows them by renewing the past faithfulness, reminding them of the past faithfulness, showing them all, he is showing them all along that it was God who acted on their behalf. 
He's saying, look, you taking the promised land, it's not about your military genius. It's not about your military ingenuity. It's about you trusting God. It's about you acting in faith. He's saying you can look all alone, even in in chapter 1, if you'll hang out there, look at verse 30 in chapter 1. And and he tells them in verse 8, verse 10, verse 11, verse 19, verse 20, verse 21, verse 25, he says over and over, he shows them this was God acting on their behalf. And it culminates in verse 30. He says this, The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf. Time and time again, you'll see here, you know what he tells them? The battle belongs to the Lord. It's not your battle. Ultimately, the battle belongs to the Lord. And he's saying, your response is faith. Guess what? Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 says our response is faith. Ultimately, you know what they were doing? They were to trust the words of the Lord through Moses. Guess what we're doing today? Ultimately, we are to trust the words of the Lord through the writers of the Word of God. Always boils down to faith. And he's saying, look, you trust the character of God. You, you rely on the character of God. You've, you've forged a covenant with Him. You've, you've enter, you enter into the battle with the promised land and you trust the character of God. He has said, I will fight the battle for you. And that is exactly what Moses is reminding them of in Deuteronomy. He's saying, look, the outcome of your future battles are not based on you, but rather on the power of God and your commitment to Him. And it's the same for us. Will we trust God? Will we simply say, I, it doesn't necessarily make sense. I don't, Addison and, and Nate said it. I, I went down to the airport when they were leaving, and, and Marty was very honest. Marty was very honest going into this with, with uh, the, the parents of, of Nathan and Addison. They, they, had to, they, they had to sign some things because they didn't know. But they were acting in faith. And it was not an unreasoned out faith. It wasn't, it wasn't just checking their brains at the door. Our faith in the Word of God is a reasoned out faith. That's what Moses is saying. You trusting God is not some blind faith. You have a history of God saying, I'm faithful, I'm faithful, I'm faithful, I'm faithful. All of a sudden, I'm not going to be faithful? My character is at stake, God is saying. I'll be faithful. And, and, and it's the same thing we have today. Luke one thirty seven. Nothing is impossible with God. Romans 8. If God is for you, who can be against you? Philippians 14, I, 4.13. I will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. I'll supply them. I'll take care of you. And what Moses is doing is saying, yes, on the surface, on the surface, it looks impossible. On the surface, what I've called you to and what you're about to do looks impossible. Yeah, they're bigger than you. Yeah, their cities are really fortified. But he's reminding them that with God, all things are possible. And if he's called you to it, you'll do it. But you're going to do it by faith. And in summary, Deuteronomy is telling us a lot about what true obedience looks like, but also what it's motivated by. Moses is helping us to see what true obedience is motivated by. And and one of the striking characteristics, one of the ways, again, that this is just not a rehash, one of the striking features of the book of Deuteronomy is the references to love that recur time and time again. It's a love of God for His people, a love of God for His people, a love of God for His people. And for the first time, Moses reveals in Deuteronomy, for the first time, very clearly, that it was God's love for Israel that motivated them to, him to deal with them the way that he did. It was His love. You see glimpses of it early on, but very, very clearly in Deuteronomy... Moses makes this very clear. One of the great revelations of this book, Deuteronomy, is how great God's love is for His people. He is crazy about His people. And Moses is saying His love for you motivated Him to bless you, 
But His love for you also motivated Him to discipline you. But He loves you. Really, really, this book is divided up into four sections. It really only covers a matter of a few weeks. All th- I mean, these are, are, are three or four really sermons that Moses gives to the people. It doesn't cover a tremendous amount of time. He's recounting it. But in every major section of this book, Moses undergirds the whole theme of what he's saying to his people with this. God loves you. God loves you. And, and that, that really culminates the climax of each of these sections. Moses is saying, God has been faithful. Why? Because He loves you. He loves you. You see it in the first address, culminating in chapter 4. You see it in the, in the second address, even in the law, chapters 5 through 26. Moses explains that it was God's love that motivated him. Let me look here real quick while I'm thinking. This, this could get dangerous, thinking off the... Uh, look at Mo- Deuteronomy 7, 7. This is when, when Moses is recounting even how they as a nation were chosen. Deuteronomy 7, 7. The Lord did not set His what on you? Love, devotion on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord what? Loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord brought you out of a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord God, your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation. Lamentations 3.23 says this, that indeed your loving kindness never fails. And to, he says, to a thousand generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. So what's the response? It's love. We're responding, though, to God's love first. But repays those, he says, listen, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will, do not, he will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, because of the love of God, you shall keep the commandment and statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. You see it in chapter 10, you see it in chapter 15, you see it in chapter 23. Their motivation was love. And God's motivation was love. In the conclusion, starting in chapter 33, God is blessing them as a nation, and He makes it very clear it was why it was because of God's love for them. Turn to Deuteronomy 33, verses 2 through 5. I'll just start reading for the sake of time. Deuteronomy 33, 2 through 5. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them there, or from Ser. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. At his right hand there was flashing lightning for them. Indeed, he loves the people. He loves the people. All your holy ones are in your hand. Listen to this. And they followed in your steps. Everyone receives of your words. Moses charged us with the law, a possession for the assembly of Jacob, and he was king in Jeshurun when, he had, when the heads of the people were gathered, the tribes together. But what does he say? He loves you. He's making sure they understand, and, and, and you can see it throughout the law. He's saying he loves you. Why did he command you to live this way? Because he loves you. Why does he command that you do this? Because he loves you. Why does he command you that you not do this? Because he loves you. And, and, and the Israelites' response to that great love of God was to be motivated by love. You, you see the same thing in 1 John 4.19. He says, we love, why? Because He first loved us. Why do we love? Because He first loved us. Why are we motivated to, to, to unswerving allegiance to Him? Because that's what He committed to us first. See, all of our lives, it's a response to grace. And and love for the Lord and devotion is the most proper and adequate motivation for obedience and service. And Israel got it wrong. They thought they could get to God just by obeying the law, and, 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 and they forsook the love. And it was about love. 
And the message of, of, of this book of Deuteronomy is this. It's that God's love for his people motivates him to bless us. And our love for God ought to motivate us to obey him. You can go to John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. You can go to John 15, 10. Same thing, obedience and love. And what we'll learn about obedience to God is this, and you see it there in your notes. Obedience to God is not a burden, but it's a response to the supreme and unique privilege of knowing God's will. He has spoken the word to us. He has chosen us. The fact that we get to follow Him is a privilege. It's a privilege. You can see that in Deuteronomy 4, the, the scriptures are there. We won't look at them for the sake of time. Obedience to God is not a precondition to salvation, but a grateful response to those who have already been saved. I don't obey God to, to earn His favor. He's already bestowed that upon me in Christ. I, I don't but follow Him to try to earn my salvation. I've followed Him because Jesus Christ already earned my salvation. Obedience is not primarily a duty imposed by one party on another, but it's an expression of covenant Love. This is not a contract where you say, man, i got to do this, or he's going to void the contract, and I'm going to be in violation. And uh, No, no, it's, I get to do this. I get to, I get to serve him. I, I, I don't always think this way, but I'm grateful to wake up each day and get to serve a wife. I'm grateful to wake up each day and get to play around and love on two kids. It's not, it's not a burden. It's a privilege. Obedience to God is not merely an external act, but evidence of a circumcision of one's heart and the internal disposition of fear and love. My obedience shows that I revere God, that I'm in awe that God, of all, that God would choose me. I'm in awe of that. Obedience to God is not a pressured response to a tyrant, but a willing subordination of one's entire being to a gracious king. You're, you're, not, you're not just trying to obey to keep him off your back. You're not trying to obey him to, to pacify him. You're not worried that he's just going to go off and just be... No, no, you're saying, you know what, I'm grateful that I get to serve him. I do it willingly. And, and love and loyalty are key components to our relationship with God today as well. So that's the setting, helping us understand that our response to God is based on love. And His choosing of us is based on love. And my love for Him is based on His love for me first. He does not love me because I love Him. I love Him because He first loved me. So just some some. some Theology, real quick, some overarching theology that I think it's, it's key that we see, that we understand, and that, Lord willing, we will see. I'm telling this on the front end because it will keep me focused and help us really to, to see it as we study it. But, but the, Deuteronomy, the theology and the significance of Deuteronomy's theology is really second to none in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, by many, have said that, that Deuteronomy is the Romans of the Old Testament. And Deuteronomy is quoted in the New Testament. You say, well, you know, for those of you who wonder, well, it's an old book. Deuteronomy is quoted in the New Testament almost a hundred times. A hundred times. Jesus himself quoted Deuteronomy in Matthew 4 when he was tempted by Satan. Matthew 22, he quotes Deuteronomy again. Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book. And we learn much about God and much theology of Deuteronomy. And the first thing we learn is this. We learn much about the character of God through a study of Deuteronomy, the character of God. I'm just going to run through these in your own quiet time. If you want to look these verses up and mark them up in your Bible, we got to get gone out of here before, before too late. So I'm just going to run through these. God's absolute uniqueness. We serve a God that is absolutely unique. I, I met with a man on Monday, and that's where next Sunday comes about, about how to share the gospel effectively with people from different faiths and religions. And this man was very, very gifted. He served as a missionary overseas. 
He has, he has spent thousands and thousands of hours. He's committed his entire life to sharing the gospel with people of different faiths. He's going to come here next Sunday at 11 o'clock, and he's going to give us an hour-long presentation. You'll walk out of here with something to, to, to work from. It, it was phenomenal. I mean, I just sat there with my jaw open listening to this guy. And it all boiled down to this. The God of this Bible is totally unique to every other God out there. He's unique. Totally unique. And that's the point of his presentation. You bring him back to the fact that every other religion, you are trying to work your way into God's favor. Christianity says, no, what? God has already bestowed your favor at the cost of his son. Totally unique. God's eternality, you'll see. He's eternal. You'll see in Deuteronomy that God is transcendent. He's over everything. He's beyond everything. You'll see also uh, pictures of God's holiness, that He's pure in everything He does. You'll see pictures of His justice, that He's right. When He does what He does, He is just in doing what He does. You'll see God's passion and loyalty for His people. We see that in 1 John 3.16, For God so loved the world, not just kind of loved, He so loved the world. You look at Ephesians, He's lavished His love upon us. You see God's faithfulness in 7-9. You see His presence. The fact that, he would, that, that, that we could come into His presence. Hebrews says, approach the throne of, great, of God with confidence. That, that is a crazy statement if you understand the statement. Me, a sinner, come into the presence of a holy God with confidence? But I do it through Christ. God's compassion and God's covenant love. The overarching point of Deuteronomy is this. God lives and offers relationship with His creation. He offers relationship with His creation. And the Israelites lived under an, the source of a covenant that was sourced in God alone. It was based upon God alone. He was the initiator. And it's the same with us. God is, our relationship, our salvation is sourced in God. He initiated it. He initiated it. Not only, not only the character of God, we, we'll see theologically that all of life, secondly on your handout, all of life is under the dominion of God. Under the dominion of God. What we'll see in Deuteronomy is the vast, everything about their life was covered under the laws. He dealt with every area of their life he spoke to. And, and you know what he's telling us? That there is no area of life that is unimportant to a Christian. There's no area of mind of your life that is unimportant in how we represent our God and how we live out our Christianity. And because the other thing we'll see, and we see it in the Word of God for us too, the lives of one person impacted the lives of everyone else in that community. We see that in 1 Corinthians, we saw it. We're one body. Any, any, your sin affects me, my sin affects you. My point in all this is to help you understand that God hasn't changed. The way that He relates to us and things like that, He's done it through Christ. All of this was pointing to Christ. They can't do this. Christ did do this. He completed it perfectly. But God is sovereign. What we'll see is that God is sovereign not only, not only over Israel, but every other nation He's sovereign over, including nature. He is sovereign over everything in my life and your life. Nothing comes to me that hasn't first passed through Him. He's sovereign. And He wants to bless. And, and see, the, the problem is, is sin has brought on a curse. And it's interesting, Deuteronomy says that cursed is everyone who, nails, who hangs on a tree. Guess what Paul said in Deuteronomy 3.10 with regards to Christ? Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ is the fulfillment of everything that God was showing them in Deuteronomy. He was the perfect fulfillment. He obeyed the law perfectly. He honored God perfectly. He glorified God perfectly. He loved God perfectly. And guess what? God says, through faith, I'll give you the prize. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. Disobedience, disobedience, sin, brings about cursing from God. 
No man will be justified by the law. And in in Galatians 3.13, he quotes Deuteronomy 23. He says that Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law is this. you You can't fulfill it perfectly. It's good. It's perfect. Romans says that. Nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with you and I. It's called sin. And Jesus Christ had to take our curse for us. But God was sovereign even over that. Go to Acts 2, 23. We're not going there, but you can see that there. Thirdly, and we'll close with this, the relationship between God and man was established by God and yet requires a response from man. Nobody is justified. You see that on a handout. Nobody is justified through the law. A proper response is required. And, And just like Israel had been freed from the bondage of Egyptian slavery... You and I who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have been freed from the bondage of sin and death. And the response is gratitude. The response is loyalty. The response is devotion. The response is giving of our lives. Why? Because we've been saved from death. It's the same thing. It requires a response. We too have been enslaved and set free. And Israel was to follow and they were to obey the law to show their gratitude. Their gratitude. And the appropriate response, what Deuteronomy shows us, is that the appropriate response to God is love. It's love. They had to come to God on His terms. So do we. It's by grace through faith. It's always been by grace through faith. You do not come to God by obeying the law, by being good enough, by doing any of this. You come by grace through faith. And everything that we could not do, meaning keep the law perfectly, Jesus Christ did on our behalf. And it boils down to a fundamental question for all of us. How have you responded to the grace of God? Have you set it aside? Have you trampled on it? Have you questioned it? Or have you responded to it in faith? Because ultimately there's no greater picture of the grace of God than His Son being crucified on a cross for your sin and my sin. Being buried and three days later embrace, uh, resurrecting. I pray that we have all embraced that. And I pray that we will embrace that.